And I walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. I need you to get me your vote on November 4th. Let's get Brexit done. Now, over the next four weeks, we're exploring on News Talk the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we look back at an influential moment chosen by you, the listeners. Today, we're looking back to the Irish banking crisis and the bailout. I believe that history will show that the government has worked hard in the national interest to implement difficult but necessary decisions to help lead our country through an international economic and financial crisis, the likes of which we've not seen in over 80 years. Well, the Irish people are entitled to be angry with the bankers who lent recklessly over a considerable period of time. Uh, the voices of Brian Cowan and the late Brian Lenehan there. They were, of course, Taoiseach and Finance Minister at the time of the financial crash. Uh, journalist Michael O'Regan joins us. Michael, it was an extraordinary three or four years. Uh, that it, it had huge implications, economic implications, political implications as well for the country. Massive shame. It was a defining moment in Irish history and a, a bloody, a, an awful one from very many people. I mean, it, we, what had happened really was, of course, we had this economic boom, the so-called Celtic Tiger, from about the mid-90s into the late 2000s, uh, you know, a growth rate at one time of close on 10% annually. Uh, we never had it so good, to quote a famous British Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan. And uh, we, had, uh, we had warnings from Europe about it that uh, we were funding this uh, economic growth uh, through a property boom. Uh, Europe warned us that you can't keep cutting taxes and spending money. Uh, but Charlie McCreevy was finance minister. He said, uh, when I have it, I'll spend it. Economists were warning us as well here in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, it continued. Uh, we, you had, for instance, you recall, Shane, uh, you had a thing called benchmarking for public servants uh, to boost their salaries, uh, which was described at the time by Senator Joe O'Toole, a prominent trade unionist, as like walking up to an ATM machine. Yeah, it was uh, incredible. We didn't listen uh, to those uh, warning signs, the likes of uh, Alan Ahern, uh, who, who were warning about this. And then it all, it happened incredibly quickly and incredibly uh, spectacularly. The House of Cards came collapsing down. It did, yeah. It, it, it was quick and quite spectacular, I suppose, in a very negative way. Uh, now, there had been rumours that the IMF was about to move in, uh, as eventually happened, of course. We got a bailout from the IMF and the EU, billions of euro, which was, <laughs> have to, has to, had to be repaid. But the rumours were around. I, I remember uh, Dermot Ahern and Noel Dempsey, two senior ministers in the government at the time, being doorstep. They said they knew nothing about it. Eventually, there was a Sunday meeting of the Cabinet, and uh, it, it was agreed uh, that we would have uh, the bailout. And, of course, uh, that genial man, Mr. Chopra, and the IMF moved in. But the, the, it, it was devastating politically, uh, Shane, for Fianna Fáil, because uh, in 2011, the year after uh, all that happened, uh, there was a general election and they were down to 20 seats. I, I think the entire episode, and it's, it's, it, it, it's a black mark in Irish political history because it caused a lot of grief to a lot of people, we had youth immigration, people lost their jobs, they lost their houses. We had these hideous ghost estates from the property boom, pockmarking the country. It was all best summed up, I think, by David McKill McKill Williams, one of the economists who warned 
warned the government at the time uh, that this would end in tears. And he said, and I'll quote what he said later, the case is clear, an economically challenged government perniciously influenced by the interests of the housing lobby blew it. The entire Irish episode will be studied internationally in years to come as an example of how not to do things, unquote. And that pretty well summed up a black chapter in Irish history. A black chapter, indeed. OK, Michael O'Regan, good to talk to you. Michael O'Regan there, journalist, recalling, as he said, a black chapter in Irish history. It seems like more than a decade ago, looking back on it. And over the next four weeks here on News Talk, we're exploring uh, the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. And every day across the station, we're looking back at some of the most um, influential moments that have been chosen by you, the listeners. Today, we're looking back to the Irish banking crisis and uh, the bailout and the subsequent um, crash after all of that. Did we, were we all a little bit relaxed with our spending? Was the crash inevitable? Was um, What about the changes to government and banking after that? Let us know your views. Get in touch with us with your stories of the uh, Celtic Tiger and um, and the bank bailout. You can let us know today on 53106 at a cost of 30 cent. Now, we're joined here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon by um, a Blind Boy Boat Club. Blind Boy, what were your uh, memories of the Celtic Tiger? What's the crack, Andrea? How are you? Good. Um, not, not too bad. Now, my memories of the Celtic Tiger, I mean... It, it, for me, it was a, a flurry of irrational spending. I mean, we all remember the irrational spending. One thing that really stuck out to me as being, because I only thought about it about a month ago, in Limerick, right, there used to be, people used to go to the bar and people used to drink this drink that had actual gold in it, right? It was right. called Goldschlager. And the thing is with this drink is, your, your body would go up and go, I'm, get, I'm getting a shot of this Goldschlager stuff. And then you'd say, why? And then this rumour would fly around that if you drink this drink, it has actual gold in it and the gold slits the inside of your throat and this causes you to absorb alcohol more. And we had these massive nightclubs and at the time I didn't think much of it. Like it was, it was about 2008 so we didn't really have the internet so no one really questioned mm. how absolutely ridiculous it was. But that's what I think when someone says to me, what was the Celtic Tiger like in Limerick? People in Limerick were drinking gold to try and slit their own throats with it. Right, Which okay. Is an absolute irrational. It's so beautifully irrational. It encapsulates. We didn't know. We didn't know. Like, I grew up, I was born in the 80s, and I never knew a recession. My older yeah. brothers knew a recession. But I was genuinely born with the, I suppose I'd call it an entitlement now, a sense of. Like Limerick is a ghost town now, but when I was growing up, there was buildings being built. I, I didn't, as far as I was concerned, all of my friends would stay in Limerick. They'd be able to get jobs in Limerick. And then it just went. It just mm. went all of a sudden. And Well, I, I sound like no I'm in a, a similar position to yourself. Like, you know, I, I went to college um, right at the height of the Celtic Tiger. I suppose we were probably, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Celtic Cubs. Um, basically yeah. you know and, and and everybody had jobs and two jobs in college everybody had money to spend Every loads of people yeah. had cars all through third level and that was you know that was that that was just so normal you never in thought school, anything in, in sixth year there was in sixth year the, 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 I remember being in sixth year in the mid 2000s and the, the teachers used to have to complain because they couldn't park because so many students had cars and they weren't, they were just simply working at the weekend and they had cars. We had in Limerick, we had a factory, Dell. Everyone I knew was working in Dell and earning unbelievable money. The, the cash was, 
when it just got taken away, yeah. the shock was is that the people of my age didn't know any different. Mm. That that was yeah. what oh, completely. I remember my older older brothers were saying to me, "Look, it's a recession. All it means is that things go quiet for a while and everything starts to look like it needs a lick of paint." I didn't know any different, so it mm. was it was so, a real shock. Yeah. So you weren't caught up in that whole. Um you know, the kind of the extravagant spending and, and you know, no, it was probably before our time, you know, in, in many ways yeah. we were lucky that we, we hadn't bought houses, um, you know, and some people might have had one and, and two houses at, at a very, you know, young age. But um, even the the SSIA scheme is another thing as well. I, I know I missed out on that, but, you know, they're, they're sort of, I suppose, some of the things that were um, maybe slightly ahead of my time, but they're the things you hear people talk about. They were ahead of my time. I'll tell you one of the most uh, one of the most shocking things I, I saw. This was about 2011 now. So the, the we were right in the middle of the recession. And I was filming. I was filming with Channel 4 in Limerick in what's now Troy Studios. But it was an abandoned Dell factory, okay? And I went in there in 2011. And when I walked in there, it was this empty factory that used to employ people. And it, inside it was like jet skis and hot tubs and all these really really expensive luxury items just for miles right and i remember going what is this and it was all the luxury items in ireland celtic tiger items yeah that had been confiscated right okay rows and rows of jet skis in this farmer factory that used to employ people right do you know and what that always sticks at me yeah it's amazing isn't it when you there's you always have like those one or two visuals that you uh that that you know mm-hmm. stick stick in your mind stay with us blind boy because um we've messages coming into us here too on the the text line about this um 53106 at a cost of 30 cent we'll come to those actually in in just a moment but john also joins us here on news talk today i suppose what, what do you remember from the uh, the celtic tiger period john well, two words uh, will sum it up, Andre, for me is madness and neglect. Madness that the government allowed to what played out, and the neglect being that the people that were in charge of financial institutions were lending people money that they knew would have a problem paying it back if something went wrong, and everything went wrong, and we all see what happened. I know people, they lost their homes. They've emigrated to Australia and America and they'll never come back over mm. this. They had to leave their own country. Yeah. It was absolutely despicable because, look, I always use the example, Andrea, with the child in a sweet shop. A child doesn't know any better. If you let them run wild in a sweet shop, they'll stuff themselves and they'll make themselves sick. It's not the people's fault. There was money dangled in front of them. They never saw this kind of 100% mortgages and we'll throw another 20 grand in if you want to change your care. And the people didn't know any better because they never had that kind yeah. of money in the first place. It was pure neglect. Did you um, did you ever I, buy anything, you know, wild or extravagant, John, no, that you, I, I didn't you buy, regret? I, I was brought up as the kind of just, look, if you have it, you, uh, you, uh, and, and or if you haven't got it, don't buy it and don't put yourself in the ditch yeah. to get something right. But if you remember at the time, the Prime Minister of this country stood up on his feet in the Dáil Birthday Heaven and said that those that were taking park shots at this this economy that was all built on housing and buildings and this building boom, that they'd be better off if they went away and committed suicide and he had to apologise for that after. So talking about, I blame the politicians and I blame the financial institutions. I don't blame the people. And hopefully, what we're going through at the moment, like what has happened since now, it's actually cheaper now to get a mortgage and to pay rent, Andrea. How did that happen? Mm, right? I know, I know. And for the whole central bank, I yeah. suppose, changes but that I came in. That, as and I'll finish uh, on this. Just I hope that the guy, that people know this time, what we're going through, and this hell we're going through at the moment with COVID, that people will realise 
It's not the new plate and the car. It's not the fancy kitchen or the five the five bedroom house with five one three three. It's your grandparents, your mother, your father, your children and your friends. Mm. That's what really yeah. matters. Oh, I know. Well, look, the famous words, weren't they from Brian Lenehan of We All Partied? Um, Blind Boy's still with us here as well on, on Lunchtime Live. Look, there's, you know, one of the things, Blind Boy, you mentioned, and, and it's something that I often think of, is that period around um, 2008 and 2009, and, and you're probably at the same age as myself, where you knew of people who just left and and went to Australia, and many of them even still there now as a result of the aftermath of all of this. 2010 hits and it just everyone's gone. But the yeah. sad thing now is so many of them, it's the ones who aren't coming back. And now they're 10 years in Australia and they're looking at, at Australian soccer and they're saying good day. And they've stopped feeling Irish and they don't want to return home. And the thought of returning home is economically. They don't want to pay the house prices. They don't want to pay the car insurance. They're, they're in Australia and what they're doing is putting solar panels on the roof and selling an electricity to the government. So, like, they're just, they're, mm. they're not they're not doing it. But what I, John there made a fantastic point that I want to reiterate, which is he, he made the point that um, we, we do have to be cautious around this narrative of blaming the people for being extravagant. Sometimes that's used as a scapegoat. The fact of the matter is it was the government and the bankers who were responsible here, not necessarily the people who bought into what was being sold. In the same way with COVID right now, Yes, house parties and stuff are an issue, but so is direct provision centres and so are meat factories. And we have to be cautious of any okay. narrative that tries to blame people right. when it, it, it's because the government will use this as a way to get around it. I've a, I say the same thing with the Celtic Tiger. Yeah, I have a text here from Derek who says, will you please stop saying that everybody was spending loads of money and that we were all off, um, we were all well off during the Celtic Tiger period. There were plenty of people that... Um, the Celtic Tiger just went right past them. They didn't know where they were going to get money to feed their kids. We're not all rich. Stop making blanket statements. This listener says they lost their house in 2010. Rented for eight years. There was a lot of strain on everybody. Um, that comes in from Mary from Cork. But we did have our health. So we were millionaires. Looking on the bright side, we are all above ground. Um, the Celtic Tiger roared past my door, says another texter. You, do you remember the um, airfields full of helicopters, says this listener. And um, ah, they were the great old times. Plenty of work, says another texter here today 53106 at a cost of 30 cent John in Cork and um, Blind Boy Boat Club as well thanks to you both for your time here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon I'm in Southern Ireland on the outskirts of Cork on an idyllic street in a wealthy neighbourhood but the story of financial ruin lurks just around the corner Not one of these houses is finished. It's as if the builders dropped their tools and walked away in the middle of the project. No one looks out of these windows. A ghostly feeling pervades this place, which is in fact called a ghost estate. Ireland's ghost estates are a stark symbol of a once rampant property boom and its subsequent bust. Some estates had one one family living in them, maybe 20 houses in the middle of nowhere. It's, It's just crazy, crazy carry on. I'm just here on the outskirts of Longford Town in Glen Reader, speaking to Winnie McDonough. You live in this estate that was a ghost estate, that was unfinished, it's almost finished. Yeah. How's it been? Oh, it's not very nice out here. It's um, very clotty at times, like uh, very rough and uh, there's lots of rats out here. There's rats? Yeah, there's rats in this terrace. Like this terrace, these houses should never be built here. 
like there was there was apartments built at the front there here. There was an apartment block and that was being knocked down, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, they were being knocked down, but the apartments up here, they should have been knocked down as well. And all these houses should be knocked down. So how has it been, I suppose, living in a, in a ghost estate with rats? Oh, not nice. Not very nice at all, to be honest, especially when you have small kids. You're watching your kids to hold them and that. Like I have the little fella here and I can't let him out. I can't, like, I can't do that now here because there's rats everywhere. So Winnie, in a way, you're one of the leftover people from the crash, from the legacy, yeah. uh, living amongst rats in a, in a ghost yeah. estate. Yeah, to be honest, which I wouldn't like it out here. It's very damp, the apartment I'm living in, and like it's, it's terrible out here. There's nobody out here to mix with the little fella here or anything, do you know what I mean? And even at that, I wouldn't leave him outside by himself anyway because there's heroin addicts comes up here as well. Do you know what I mean? I, don't, I wouldn't allow me baby outside on his own. Very badly built. I'm Councillor Seamus Butler, uh, based in the Longford Municipal District. And going back to 2008-2009, uh, we had 128 unfinished estates in County Longford. 128? 128 per capita I would say by far it's the biggest in the country. And we're here in Longford at the moment. Bring us back to that time of the, the mid-noughties when things started to go wrong, 2007, 2008, nine. Well, there was an absolute building boom in County Longford because of a tax break, especially for, for buying new houses and investors uh, from Dublin, for example, there were, anecdotally, there were people that said, you know, I have four houses in Longford. I've never seen them, but I bought them. Four houses in yeah, Longford. Yeah, and that's what happened. And they flooded the market, absolutely. And then the crash came and we're left with 128 unfinished or ghost estates, as they used to call them. And this was a huge uh, a problem for Longford County Council. How are we going to get these in? Because the builders are gone, they're bust, the investors are, are, are not And they there. did, they just abandoned site. They just left uh, the buildings half finished and then it became an international story. Well, I think in 2010 or 2011, I was interviewed by Le Monde. They sent a crew over to Longford. Wow. Uh, je parle un peu de français. <laughs> My name is Dr. Keno Callan. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Geography in the School of Natural Science, Trinity College. Dublin. Really what we're kind of dealing with here is coming off the back of the first phase of Celtic Tiger which was driven by exports and foreign direct investment and that translated then into a construction bubble and that construction bubble was driven by initially initial demand for, for new houses because you had growing population but also then increasingly by things like tax breaks, tax incentive schemes particularly in parts of rural Ireland so the upper Shannon region for example um, during a period of kind of uh, early 2000s, 2006, 2007 one in three houses in some of those counties was was built during that period. One in three yeah. homes were built. It's often been built for populations that are maybe you know marginally increasing or in decline and so it's very much speculative that who's going to buy these houses, who's going to live in them. So one of the impacts then at the 2007-2008 crash was that we got the appearance of ghost estates and really ghost estates appear in the sense that there's you know construction activity happening, these are estates that are to be built, estates that are to be populated and suddenly kind of the workers, developers kind of down tools and these sites are kind of left half empty or often cases half finished and became a very stark kind of imprint then on the landscape kind of to, to see and I suppose experience the crisis. James uh, Kelly is my name and uh, I'm uh, a poet and a dreamer. I've been on the streets here in Grafton for about 25 years. I'm flogging my book at the moment, Dunima Press published it. It's complete poems of over 30 years of my work. 
I saw um, many of the estates, in fact, when we were stuck for a place to crash at festivals, we used to move in there with our sleeping bag and we'd, we'd hop into a few. Really? I didn't, you would uh, swap inside yes, we the, the A few of them, well, for a night or two at a festival, if we hadn't a tent or that, you know, like Willie Clancy or the flag holes in, in the one in Sligo or Cavan. These estates are still there and there in Reckonry and they haven't really been, they haven't really been uh, altered really, you know, uh, which is a, because we never had more houses and never had more homeless. Augustus are a very complex kind of issue and one reason they became such a big story I think at the time was that they became a sort of cultural way to actually ground the very abstract global financial crisis. So what we were dealing with at the time was like this um, collapse in subprime market in the US and we were wondering about how that might impact Ireland and that's very abstract we're kind of looking at what's the impact on Irish banks and that's kind of took a while if you might remember to kind of figure that out and see what the exposure was but Augustus says became a very tangible way in which we could kind of like see that on the landscape. And visually Visually, it was yeah. because it became an international story. I remember the BBC World Service contacted me about it and everyone was talking about these Irish ghost estates. Yeah, exactly. And they're very kind of visually stunning in lots of kind of respects and it became a metaphor then, I suppose, for the collapse of the Celtic tiger as well. Also, it became a way then to quantify the crisis, the figure of around 300,000 kind of vacant units at the time and something in the region of 2,800 unfinished estates as they became classified. So over the period of time, there's been a kind of range of interventions, I suppose, but in the main, the, the approach from the government has been fairly light touch and kind of left a lot to the market and so that has kind of like geographically kind of divergent impacts so in somewhere like Dublin you know you would have had a recovery of a lot of these quite quickly and places that were ghost estates would have been filled up and you know obviously we have a, a deficit of housing uh, now we're kind of looking for new kind of housing provision. We got to grips with it very well in Longford eventually we formed an unfinished estates team and we started on these 128 and to date now, we have 117 of those actually either taken in charge or resolved, with 11 with actual plans to bring the last 11 in the next 18 months, we hope, into, uh, into use. This was a mammoth task. This was making a silk purse out of a sow's ear, and that's what we did in Longford. And that has led now to a regeneration team that are second to none in the country, and Longford Town and its environs and the county are a major regeneration uh, with something in the region of 27 million coming into Longford in the next two to three years. So what did you do with them? Did you knock them down? Did you finish them off? Did you renovate them? Did you put a fence around them? How did you sort them out? And how will you sort out the, the last 11? Well, each one was unique in its own way because they were in different states. Some were finished but not uh, for example no lighting or, or surface and they, they, they were the easy ones the low hanging fruit but the other ones were much more difficult there was one estate particularly that the sewers all had to be lifted because they were put in incorrectly so there was major works there as a matter of calling in bonds where the bonds were available there was a mismatch of those as well bad practice in the past we've learnt a lot from this and going forward we'll finish the next 11 we hope in the next 18 months to two years and that's a mammoth task. In one respect you could say that the black spot is, is that we didn't really learn very much lessons in terms of we had a big developmental failure that led to these kind of you know, massive global story of unfinished estates, vacancy on the landscape and we didn't really change our approach to how we provide housing and how we plan housing. For you what was your greatest memory of the financial crash? Was it the ghost estates? 
Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I think initially, yeah, it would have been kind of like unfinished estates and it would have been kind of have strong memories of kind of like in 2010, maybe kind of traveling with colleagues I've worked with in Maynooth to places unfinished estates in Cork and kind of taking photographs, looking at the kind of the landscapes there. And it was a very kind of like stark kind of imprint there of just the, the sudden kind of collapse. In other respects then, I think that the impacts of the crisis have kind of wound itself out more slowly. So, I mean, looking back kind of 10 or more years on, I think some of the biggest kind of legacies would be things like the creation of NAMA, for example, which has had a big, very big impact on the built environment in Dublin, for example. The crash also had a very uneven geographic impact kind of economically. So if you think about it, a lot of the areas in the Midlands, for example, would have had very high levels of construction jobs. Those construction jobs were also um, you know, feeding the wider economy in terms of the service sector, all these kinds of things. And there are people kind of building these houses as well. So when that construction employment collapsed, a lot of that work didn't really come back and a lot of investment hasn't really returned to those counties and those towns in the same way as it would in Dublin. So one thing we have from the economic crash and recovery, the thing you say about the Celtic Tiger, I suppose, is that it did spread economic benefits for a short period of time at least to a large part of the country. What we've had since then is a quite sort of uneven recovery where we have a lot of economic activity in Dublin and primarily in the main cities and we have depopulation and decline in a lot of other places as well and remains a problem. Over the next four weeks here on uh, this show and right across the station, we're exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades, uh, as voted on by you, the News Talk listener. So every day across the station, we'll look back at an influential moment chosen by the listeners. And today we're looking back at one of the biggest domestic stories of the past 20 years, the boom and bust, Celtic Tiger and the subsequent collapse of the economy. One of those people at the coalface in terms of uh, documenting it all and commentating on it all was David McWilliams, the Economist, presenter of the David McWilliams podcast. And I want to take a little listen before we speak to David uh, to a little clip from the TV series based on his 2006 book, The Pope's Children. I got this bag a month ago. It's my fourth Louis Vuitton bag. And it's kind of the biggest one I've had just because it's really handy for work and that. It was €580. Christian Dior does lovely bags as well. Got a gorgeous pair of Fendi boots last summer, a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes. I like Chanel for sunglasses and things. There isn't too much guilt involved because I think you justify it a lot and you say, well, I would have spent that on something else, so I may as well buy something really big, really nice. I think that Ireland's gotten a lot better for bringing a lot of the designers that they may not have had a few years ago. So it's great for every shopping person's dream. Yeah, that was uh, just a clip from uh, the Pope's Children TV series uh, based on the book by David McWilliams. David, you're very welcome to the hard shoulder. How are you? Uh, I, I'm not too bad. Um, listen, uh, uh, there's been a lot of coverage on the station throughout the day. Oh, you, you've, you've disappeared there. I didn't quite hear you. Sorry, I didn't get that. I was just saying, David, there, there, there's quite a bit of coverage, obviously, throughout the day here. And people were talking about... about different aspects of the, bo- the boom and bust and people here in the show have been sharing their kind of their peak Celtic Tiger memories and we got a sense of that maybe from the clip as well from your TV show uh, but I, I know you were writing previously about the roots of the, the Irish boom going back a lot further into time than, pe- than, than people might be well, aware tell us about that yeah well Karen, it's a funny you know because uh, when the when you mentioned the Pope's children I had to go and find a copy here in the house uh, you'd imagine you'd have loads of them, but you actually don't. And uh, writing that book 
was such an eye-opener for me because what had happened was, Kieran, I had spent years pre- previous to this, I was an economist in the central bank. And that's when I used to do quite academic stuff and, and quite deep economic research, etc. And I remember the boss of the central bank, the governor at the time, asking me as a young whippersnapper just out of college to go and look at demographics and try and figure out where the next bulge in the Irish population would come and when it would come. And uh, so I was going back through this, I was going back, and it's then I, I realized, I looked and I looked and I said, okay, the Irish population peaked in the third week of June of 1980. So our entire population from 1922 to now, the peak was in the third weekend. I remember sitting there in the office and thinking, when was that? So, wow, that's nine months to the day after the Pope arrived. So the impetus for the whole idea was that basically there was a baby. So Irish people responded to the Pope clearly by fornicating, right? And there was a massive, massive baby boom. And then when those kids uh, hit their early 20s and started going into the labor force, which was in the Celtic Tiger uh, years, that's when you found uh, this huge surge in the economy. So it's like everything, Kieran. you know, booms in economies are actually sourced, you know, a generation before they happen. That's yeah. the first thing. The second thing was we were borrowing huge amounts of money from Germany. And again, people in Ireland weren't aware at the time. They said, where is all this money coming from? Because there was a lot of new money out in the street and house prices were going on. And as you heard uh, that, that uh, woman on that clip, talking about every Irish shopping person's dream. And I thought at the time, the fusion of all this German money coming in and this baby boom is going to come together right at the moment when the economy goes through the roof. Yeah, And that's actually what happened. So that was the, the book was then written, Kieran, basically walking around towns and provincial towns down mm. the country, a bit in Dublin, with a notebook in my back pocket, observing different types of characters yeah. that I think everybody could see, but maybe, you know, at the time they just kind of came to me. I remember that breakfast roll man. Breakfast roll man was the, the well, it was, it was. I remember being, you know, like, you know, the way in the, I was in the, uh, the hot food counter, like everybody else waiting in the hot food counter at a centra. And I think it was out in Santry or somewhere and just seeing five or six lads in high-vis jackets ordering the same stuff, and then another five or six lads, and they all looked the same, all working on the sites, all ordering breakfast rolls. Yeah. And I uh, thought, that's something. There's something in that yeah. character I, that actually speaks to people. I, I want to talk to you in a moment just about, about uh, some of the other aspects of it and when things started to go wrong, but but it kind of falls on me to kind of break some from sad news now because we've just had confirmation that Diego Maradona has passed away at the age of uh, 60. It is awful news and I wouldn't usually interrupt someone mid-flow like that, David, but I just think, you know, you're talking about uh, easily one of the most famous people on this planet and obviously one of the greatest footballers of all time. Look, I know you're a huge footballing fan and you have your own <laughs> yeah, memories of Maradona. because Maradona, I mean, I actually, it's funny you should say that. I remember as a kid, as a little in national school, Argentina came to play Ireland in Lansdowne Road and somebody can Google it. I can't remember, it was the 70s, late 70s. And Maradona had been spoken about. They wouldn't play Maradona in the 78 World Cup final, World Cup, because they thought he was just too young. He was 15. And Ireland played them after they became World Cup champions. And all of our school, all sixth or fifth class or whatever, tried to get out to go to see the game, go to the schoolboy end 
of Lansdowne and Maradona played and he was maybe, I think he was only 16, maybe, yes, about 16. And uh, look, Diego Maradona is the most important footballer of the last three generations by by a country mile. And he's the most loved footballer. That's the interesting thing. I've always been intrigued, Kieran, if you, if you contrast Maradona and Pele, yeah. the two great footballers, Pele was never loved in the way Maradona was. And I think the reason Maradona was loved was that he was such a vulnerable human being. Yeah. He was such a deeply, deeply human character. You, I don't know if you saw the documentary, the Maradona documentary. Oh, brilliant. In, in, in Absolutely Napoli. brilliant. And you see the beginning of that when he's in a kind of a Fiat Mirafiori and they're going through the back streets of Naples and the crowds are going mad. And you have this kid in effect. But his ability to connect with people, and people will tell you in Argentina that uh, no matter what Maradona did, no matter how many times he ended up in rehab, in fact, the more he ended up in rehab, <laughs> the more people loved him because they saw themselves in him. They saw, this is a beautifully flawed person. Yeah. Frank, frankly, Kieran, like all of us. Yeah, and isn't that is though? Like the, the good protagonist in any novel needs to have some sort of flaw so we can empathise with them, and that's why yeah, that's why people love Maradona. Yeah, and wasn't just his ability on the pitch. You know, it was it was that extraordinary emotion that he brought to everything, and uh, the fact that he was actually really from maybe one of the poorest ghettos in Argentina, and the fact that his entire and then in that documentary you understood what it's like to be the most famous sports person in the world. The enormous pressure on a young guy and the fact that he was trying to be good to his family all the time. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a classic, it's a classic semi-tragic story. It's a yeah. real shame. I'm really, I'm really shocked by that. Yeah, it is. It is really uh, sad. And uh, look, I know a, a little incongruous in the middle of a discussion about well, the, the economy to, to, <laughs> to start talking about Ma Maradona. We wouldn't usually do it, but I think obviously well, no, in this case... Actually, Karen, yeah. The interesting thing is, is, is the Pope's children book was a, was about culture. It was yeah. about us. It was about the society. And, you know, football is, is about culture. Maradona was about the culture. It's yeah. where he came from, how he behaved, who he was hanging out with, what he did, the amount of joy he brought to people. And as I said before, the, the, the obvious vulnerability from the flawed human being, which we all recognise. Yeah, listen, we have plenty more. Except coverage. you and I couldn't. We couldn't do keepy uppies like him. No, I certainly couldn't. I certainly couldn't. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, uh, we'll have plenty more coverage uh, of uh, Maradona. Looking back on his his life and times between now and seven o'clock. Uh, but listen, David, before I let you go, we'll, we'll talk again about the economy. And we mentioned some of the roots of it there. And you talk about going all the way back to the fall of the Berlin Wall and 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 some of the 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 economic and and, and social and cultural and political changes on foot of that, combining with a population boom and all those things here but if we skip forward a little bit I, and I know it's easy in hindsight because I've heard people again on the station today doing it talking about wh when the warning signs were there but uh, well, listen man I was given them so I, I was the one yeah well the that's that's why I want to but 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 for you then and and in all honesty for you like was there a moment when you realized that uh, things were on 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 unsteady ground or was it a kind of a creeping realization or or, or how listen, did it come to you there wasn't Kieran there wasn't one eureka moment where I felt, wow, this is all going to blow. There was just, if you if you read that book and what that TV program, that they were all about warning that this is going to crash really badly. But what I didn't want to do was be that person that always went on about that. I want to say, well, 
in the background, there are all these other positive things that are going on. That'll stay with us for a while. But I mean, it, you know, at the time, there was just so much nonsense dressed up as economics peddled by the banks, frankly, uh, and the state at the time, the government at the time, to the people, to encourage people to get into more and more debt, to throw more and more money at, at the housing market in the main. It was very, very clear to me that this was going to end in a monumental catastrophe. But I suppose what happened at the time is that when you are that person saying these things, it's not particularly popular, Kieran. It's mm. popular now, but it wasn't popular at the time. And you tend, I would just say that, uh, you know, it was unusual the extent uh, to which people, and it wasn't people, but to the extent to which the powers that be deployed resources to keep that particular boom going. Uh, knowing, I think, full well at the end, Kieran, that when it crashed, people, real people, average people would suffer. Um, but it was, uh, it was did, an unusual Did they, though? Did, or did they all? Was it not a little bit of ignorance about how, how, how bad it might be? Kieran, if you did, if you did pass economics in the leave insert, you'd have figured this out, <laughs> right? Okay, I'm telling you, right? You know, if you, it, it was, I think, basically what happens is, you know, where you stand can be sometimes uh, determined by who pays your wages as a general view in life, okay? And I think there were enough people being paid to keep the whole thing going who could be counted on to uh, write the stories or go on the radio, go on the TV. Um, and I do remember going on many TV programs and many radio shows uh, and being kind of laughed at and being sort of ridiculed by saying, look, guys, we have to be careful here. Um, but, you know, those things pass. And uh, that was a long time ago now, Kieran. Did you take that? So I kind of maybe going a little slightly off topic now. Did you take that a little personally at the time? Like, was it upsetting? No, I don't think it was. It was more upset now if I'd been a million quid in the red. And the whole thing crashed. I'd be really upset. <laughs> like, I think that what, would, what, what, was, what I found difficult to uh, understand was why... The state didn't like in 2003, 2004, when people like me were, were saying this is this is going to overheat, didn't take action then and say, OK, let's even just let's hedge our bets. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, let's go with one guy, one view. Just let's hedge our bets. Let's kind of cool it off. Let's take the foot off the accelerator. Let's not celebrate uh, what was a bonfire of delinquency when it comes to debt. Mm. Let's not encourage people to get further into debt. Let's try and preserve some sounds. That's that, but again, I don't know why that was. It's a, it's a, it was a strange period. But by the same token, Kieran, and I, I, I think that there was a lot of things that happened during that period that maybe put us into better shape ten years hence. I think yeah. that there was a lot of a lot of people tried things. A lot of people tried businesses. A lot of people opened up things. There was a lot of positive energy. You know what we focus on is. The collapse. Yeah. But there was also there was also a lot of positive energy in the country at the time. Immigrants were coming in at a rate that we'd never heard before. Lots of Irish people whose parents and grandparents had never ever had yeah. access to anything. They got right. a chance. You know, so so there are, you know, like like all stories, there's 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 light and shade. Yeah. Light and shade. There is.